This is the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Matthew Weldon. And I'm Mary McCleskey. Back in August, we at the USCCB wondered when the HHS mandate saga would end. Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, president of the conference, published an op-ed in The Hill on the issue. And on this podcast, we discussed the lack of action from the White House. We were concerned. Well, on October 6th, some of our concerns were addressed. The Department of Health and Human Services released new rules expanding the exemption to the contraception mandate. And as a bonus, we saw the release of religious freedom guidance for federal agencies and executive departments from the Department of Justice. Hillary Burns is here to talk with us about the HHS rules and DOJ guidance. Hillary serves as Assistant General Counsel and lead staff to the U.S. Bishops Ad Hoc Committee for Religious Liberty. Thanks for taking the time to come and give us an update. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you know, on Monday of the week that the expansion was announced, uh, we had our staff meeting uh, and our Religious Liberty staff meeting, and we were thinking that any movement on the mandate was probably weeks or months away. Like, this is one of the things that I just thought was so kind of funny about the way it all happened. I mean, this really came as a surprise that the very week we were even kind of lamenting, well, it looks like it's going to not, it's not going to be for a while. Uh, it ended up, we ended up getting something. Uh, you know, it was just kind of, it was really something that it came as a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Well, I think at that point, uh, I think just a couple of days earlier, we had seen the resignation of Dr. Tom Price, the former secretary of HHS. So I think a lot of people thought, well, maybe things are going to be delayed. Any action from HHS might might get pushed back a few weeks or even months. But we were, so that, that was surprising to actually get the new rules um, from HHS just a few days later. So obviously things had been in the works for some time and you know we were expecting something at some point. Um, we've had several go-rounds where we thought something was coming imminently and then it didn't, but finally it happened and thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, so HHS has issued an interim final rule or interim final rules. Can you just tell us briefly, you know, what do the rules do? Why is this kind of a cause for some celebration. Absolutely. Well, the the rules provide a broad uh, religious as well as a moral exemption for those who don't want to provide coverage for contraceptives, sterilization, or abortion-inducing drugs and devices in their health plans. So um, this is something that we had been asking for for six years now, since the original rule was announced back in 2011. We'd been asking for for a broad religious and moral exemption, um, just consistent with conscience protections and federal law that have been in place for 40 years or so. Um, So basically anyone um, who who wants this exemption, with a a few exceptions um, as to some for-profit uh, publicly traded companies, but just about any employer who um, has sincere, sincerely held religious or moral beliefs on this um, does not have to provide that coverage in their health plans. Can you explain, so interim final rule, that kind of sounds like, well, what the heck does that mean in wa- you know, Washington <laughs> lingo? So break it down, like what exactly does that mean? That means that there's a waiting period until it's final, is that right? No, the the rules actually go into effect immediately, and so when they were published uh, 
in early October, so October 6th. They went into effect immediately. However, the federal government is taking comments, uh, public comments on the rules. So we would urge people, we are going to be filing our public comments for the USCCB um, in a few weeks. And we would urge uh, folks who are concerned about this issue and, and want to make sure that the federal government finalizes these rules um, as is with the broad moral and religious exemption. The comments are due on December 5th. So anyone who um, would like to file comments, you can go on the NCHLA website and it's very easy to just fill out the form and electronically file your comments with the federal government. And then when does the, the rule become like final, final? Like when will we kind of be like, yes, this isn't, you know, mm -hmm. the rug's not going to get pulled out from under us. <laughs> sure. So uh, the federal government will then have some period of time, I would expect a few months to kind of compile and review all the comments that they receive. So once that deadline hits in December, December 5th, then HHS will start reviewing the, the comments that they get from the public. And then at some point after that, I would expect sometime in 2018, uh, they will finalize the rules um, after you know this period of public comment. And now, um, just to be clear, the new rule doesn't make all of the litigation just disappear. I mean, that's because I think that you know, if, if you have kind of followed this issue, you might just think, well, everything's over because because we have the new, new rules or better rules. Uh, but there are still, there were plaintiffs who had challenged the mandate who still have to settle cases. Can you just kind of say a little bit about what happens with all of that litigation? Sure. So uh, the Little Sisters and other um, plaintiffs in the HHS mandate cases, some of those cases are still outstanding. Uh, the federal government, the Department of Justice specifically, still has to um, finalize things with, with those litigants. So although some of the cases have been, uh, have been settled with um, DOJ, there are still some other folks out there like the Little Sisters um, and other nonprofit organizations in particular that still need to um, you know, settle with, with DOJ. And the idea is that we don't want to see another HHS mandate from, say, a future administration that could be enforced against the, the plaintiffs. And so what they're trying to secure is more perm a more permanent form of relief going forward, just in case another administration gets any crazy idea like re-implementing this. Now, all along, we, we, we've anticipated that there would be a response, that, that, that when we eventually did get relief, that it's not like the, the, everything goes away, that we might see lawsuits, um, advertising campaigns against, against this, that, um, you know, that we're taking away birth control or, or things like that. What, what have we seen so far? So it's interesting because the administration anticipates that more than 99.9% of women in the United States will not actually be affected by this rule change because um, you have a, a relatively small number of employers who have sincerely held religious beliefs or moral convictions about contraceptives and abortion-inducing drugs. 
So it's really only affecting a, a pretty small uh, percentage of the U.S. population, this rule change. However, I think the other side um, would have you think that the entire sky is falling and the world is coming to an end because there's a religious and moral exemption to this rule. I think uh, companies are going to, you know, especially large corporations are going to continue to cover contraceptives in their health plans like they've done for probably decades. So I think for most people, they're not going to see a big change, but but the uh, pro-abortion uh, groups have definitely been acting like this is some kind of um, major setback for, for women's rights or something, which is just completely untrue. Well, but at the same time, this rule doesn't exactly um, give us ex- everything that we've been asking for. Isn't that right? There's something still right? I mean, as a matter of public policy, of course, the, the Bishop's Conference um who does not want to see, uh, would not want to see the federal government promoting, for example, um, contraceptives and so forth. But um, so as a matter of public policy, of course, we'd, we would want to see, um, you know, people not using um, these drugs and devices that we find immoral. But at the very least, at least the, the federal government is not forcing us, um, religious uh, and people with religious objections to this, uh, to covering these drugs and devices. So it, it's so it's a victory for religious freedom. It might still be bad public policy. It is bad public policy to be promoting contraceptives. Um, but at least we have our religious freedom to not be forced to be involved in this. Um, one point just to make is just to be clear is that I mean the mandate still exists like in terms of you know I mean kind of addressing this whole sky is falling attitude that the mandate still exists and that's part of what we'd love it if there was no mandate but there but there is still one at least we get an exemption so that's Mm -hmm. it seems like that's just kind of like some of these sorts of things you're seeing out there make it sound like not only is the mandate um uh, make it sound as if not that the mandate has been revoked and that that's in fact made contraceptives illegal or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you would get the impression from some of the some stuff I've seen at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other thing, you mentioned that um, Hillary about many of these companies for decades uh, have provided uh, the contraceptives or covered contraceptives. So for decades, like the mandate didn't even exist. I mean, this was like before 2011. You still had plenty of of uh, most companies were providing uh, this anyway. They didn't need the government to tell them you have to do this. So it just it seems like that's worth kind of at least noting that point. Yeah, I think I, a statistic I had seen back in 2011 or 12 was something like 89 percent of corporations were covering. Uh, contraceptives in their health plans. So this was really from the beginning all about forcing that last um, tiny percentage of employers that do have religious objections to these um, these drugs and devices. So this has always been, in my view, about coercing those last um, few religious holdouts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, so I mean, and it goes to show just that we have to stay engaged in this because it's obviously, for whatever reason, is very important to some people that that even the, the few of us who are, think that this is wrong, um, that we're supposed to somehow go along with the whole thing. Uh, 
Now, can you also tell us about the DOJ guidelines? I mean, those uh, seem like good news. Those could easily, though, go under the radar because it's just not the sort of thing that's, that most people are going to follow. But tell us some of the highlights, kind of what they are, what what... Yeah, what is this? DOJ, Department of Justice. Oh, yeah. Just trying to, you know, not everyone lives inside the beltway. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So um, I think some, I think these got kind of, um, you you know, not as much press coverage because they came out on the same day as the revised HHS mandate regulations. So, um, however, I think they really, they are great news for faith-based organizations and and those who have any real dealings with the federal government. So um, what the attorney general did was issued these these, uh, memos to federal agencies that um, talk about religious liberty and their obligation to protect religious liberty and what they do. So um, what the guidance is doing is just uh, going through some of the case law, for example, um, on religious liberty and reminding uh, federal agencies that they have to follow um, these protections that have been outlined in federal law in, in both the Constitution as well as the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act that they have to think about religious freedom issues when, for example, they are considering faith-based organizations for, let's say, a federal grant or a contract. So um, it's really reminding them of their obligations and just laying out some of the, the legal framework that they should use to look at these issues. I mean, as somebody without legal training who doesn't you know, isn't always reading these sorts of documents. I, I was struck by that point that they're supposed to take, that regulatory agencies are supposed to take the Religious Freedom Restoration Act there's into consideration when they're making rules. I mean, that seems like, at first you might think, well, shouldn't they have always done that um, because you don't want to invite lawsuits? Um, but in, in any event, that seems pretty significant. I mean, can you comment on that? It seems like a pretty I thought that was an important part. Uh, say a little more about that. Sure. I mean, really, the federal government should have been taking the Religious Freedom Restoration Act into account for since it was passed in 1993 um, by you know signed into law by Bill Clinton. Um, so, unfortunately, though, over the last several years, we've seen instances where we think the federal government has not properly taken. RIFRA, this federal law, into account. And so they haven't weighed, for example, the the burdens that um, religious organizations sometimes face when federal agencies make rules, for example, the HHS contraceptive mandate, one that we were just talking about. So um, this is really uh, about educating and training federal employees to take religious liberty into account when they're writing a rule. Sometimes they may not even think about how a rule might affect, let's say, um, Native American populations when we're talking about federal highways and um, religious grounds that are important to certain Native American groups. And so, you know, they may federal um, agencies may just think that they're making a very secular and and neutral rule, but they they really need to consider the impact on religious groups and religious people. Yeah, I think that's important in a in a country, a pluralistic country like ours for the government to to be cognizant of of the different ways that uh, that the government can possibly put burdens on religious peoples. Just it seems like uh, 
in some ways a basic point, but still a good one. Uh, just last question, you know, we've kind of mentioned that that, that this uh, fight over some of these things may be ongoing. Can you just say maybe a couple of pointers on how we can stay engaged, ways that we can pray about this issue? Kind of what, what are some of your recommendations there? <laughs> Sure. I have a few uh, recommendations. The first one would be to sign up for our uh, Religious Liberty text message updates. So you can do that by texting the word freedom to the number 377377. Freedom! Yay! Or you can text Libertad for Spanish uh, text messages, 377377. So we will keep you informed on breaking religious freedom news. Uh, So we'll be updating that, um, especially with regard to the HHS mandate public comment period, because it's really important that people file comments supporting what HHS is doing and and telling them they should confirm these rules um, just as they were were written um, in the interim final. And this can be anybody, any citizen, right? You just, you're just making your voice heard. You don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that, right? Just making your voice heard. Exactly. We'll give you kind of the the bullet points to include in your message to HHS. Um, You can of course, personalize it um, how you would like to, but we can give you some general pointers on on what to say to HHS to encourage them to um, to do the right thing and finalize these rules as written. Uh, Another um, way you can follow us is on Twitter. USCCB Freedom is our handle. Uh, so you can follow our Breaking Religious Liberty news there. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter, which is free to serve. You can go on the usccb.org freedom website to find out how to do that. So those are just a few ways you can stay informed. Isn't the call to prayer one of the um, main petitions is typically for uh, religious liberty as well as marriage and life, right? Sure. So the bishops called for uh, this call to prayer for life, marriage, and religious liberty. So uh, you can also sign up for those uh, text message alerts. I think it's usccb.org slash pray. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty easy website to remember. You can you can get text message alerts and emails for that as well. Well, thank you so much for um, talking with us and just keeping us up to date on these issues. It's good to get good news. <laughs> it is. Thankfully, after six long years of waiting for this relief. Yes, thank you. And uh, this is Aaron Matthew Weldon. And Mary McCluskey, thank you for joining us for the first Freedom Podcast.